I wish I had an opportunity to share with all of you what I believe that God is speaking to my heart, not just over the pulpit, but on a one-on-one or classroom environment where I would give you the opportunity to respond. We've been doing this uh, on Thursdays. Uh, uh, Pastor Mary Ann has come over. You know, we're beginning a new ministry called uh, The Age of Glory. And a lot of the teachings and, and uh, publishings that I've had are going to be put on there and some just uh, whatever else. And uh, she's gone through it. It's going to be... Uh, she's done a major, major job on this when you get to see it. The, uh, it won't be too long before... Uh, the website will be up and running, but she's done an unbelievable job, very professional, and uh, it, I think it's, prophetically, it's been proclaimed that it's going to be something that uh, is going to go around the world and many people are going to uh, <coughs> be able to participate in the teachings that I'm sharing at this time. So I'm really looking forward to that. But I have felt, and I think some of you have noticed, because some of you obviously have come up and told me that in the last period of time, whatever it might be, that there's been a shift, a change in uh, the ministry and the anointing, in the, not just in the methodology of preaching, but in the substance of preaching. And uh, some of you have said uh, that there are things and insights that we've been hearing that are revelatory to you. Well, I, I just want to say to you, it's revelatory to me as well. And I believe that this morning is going to be one of those times if I get to share with you what the Lord has been sharing with me all week. As a matter of fact, longer than a week, it's been uh, some time and I just haven't had quite the understanding on how to present it. Because I, I, I don't want to sound critical and I certainly don't want to be judgmental of anything. But you know, Something's got to change. I mean, you can't put on the television, you can't read a newspaper, periodical, can't be in a conversation with people today without realizing things are not well. And it's not just it's not well in America. It's not well in the world. I mean, the things that are happening that some of you, uh, even some of you young ones, when you were just little kids, anybody would tell you that these things would be going on as a matter of course. Everybody would say, you're crazy. Can't happen. Not in America. And yet, it's happening. And, and there's such a dichotomy of, of 
political views and 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 just and not just politics, so social acceptances. And there's such a tension right now. You're afraid to somebody ask you something, and if you're like me, you shut your mouth and you say, "What do you think?" First. Yeah, you know, just because you say when you, you know, a natural response and boy, next thing you know, you, you're getting sued. <laughs> you're on the front page of some, you know, BuzzFeed magazine or something. And so I've been really praying about this. See, I believe, and you know this because I've been preaching this for decades now. that we are not in a descendancy as far as our world is concerned or the church is concerned. I believe that the days ahead of us are going to be days whereby the church will demonstrate and manifest her glory as never before. I believe that. But then I open my eyes and I look at what's going on around here. I wonder, is, is there any solution? I mean, come on. Don't tell me you don't read or watch. The, maybe you don't, and that's good. I bless you if you don't. I've gotten to the point where I don't want to put on any news. I don't care if it's whatever. I, I just, they're all out there. Creating an issue talking about issues, saying we need change, and we do. But there's no solution. People are saying we, we need to reform our society. All right. There are segments, there are areas that, that, that are terrible, terrible. And like I said a few weeks ago, you know, the, our black brothers and sisters are suffering out there. Maybe we've just been negligent of the idea. And we need to be able to do something to, to, to rectify it. But when you come to what should we do, civil unrest, political reformation, legislation, trying to modify your behavior. I don't know how, you know, honestly, don't, don't, please nobody take this wrong. I don't know how to be more compassionate to everybody. But something has got to change. There are problems. And even though I might not be the victim of some of these situations, I need, as a Christian, I need to have the empathy for my brothers and sisters who are, and say something needs to be done. But I'm going to confess to you, I don't know what. See, I'm a one-dimensional individual. 
My whole focus of life is based upon the word of God. And I believe that that is the solution to all the problems of mankind. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. But something is not working. And so I've, I've been coming before the Lord and I said, you know, what is it? I've been hearing people out there, they've been talking about reforming society. Okay, great. Uh, you know, we've tried that. We've passed legislation. You know what? I said this last week or the week before. The responsibility for the reformation of society does not lay within the legislature of a country. It lays within the church. It's the church. If there's going to be reformation, it's the church that needs to preach righteousness without condemnation. And we just can't speak the word. You've got to live it. You've got to be that living epistle. And when people see you out in the street or wherever you might be at work and shopping, they notice that, wow, there's something different. And not just about your countenance. But there's something different about your character. Reform the church. Come on. We've been doing that for 2,000 years. What is it? What have we ended up with? Thousands of variations of the same faith and creed. Fighting, bickering within themselves. Claiming that God's glory and grace is sufficient for all things, yet it's not sufficient enough for me to be compatible with you, your denomination, your group, your beliefs, your dictates. Why is this? You know, we, we preach it on the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. Why? Because they were all together in one mind and in one accord. So it's not about the, making the church more relevant, more pertinent to our society. Well, we have to have more programs. We have to have better performances on the stage. We have to have all kinds of things that create a, an aura of, of, of mysticism or spirituality. The church doesn't need to become relevant, pertinent, or reform. The answer to the problems facing our society is in the restoration of the church. Getting back to what the apostles preached and taught and lived. That's what we need to do. You know, 
This doesn't say that everybody has to do the same thing the same way. Methodology of propagation of the truth is susceptible to the cultural differences of people and ethnicity and yeah, that's great. You worship this way. Oh yeah, we understand. Yeah, and that's one. Matter of fact, to me, I believe that is pleasing to God when we see the diversity of people worshiping God with the same intensity, with the same purity, with the same righteousness, regardless of your culture. Instead of trying to redefine that, you know, by sending in our American imperialistic missionaries to countries, we need to embrace it. Amen. Yes. So methodology can be different. But the message must be the same. The message must be founded on the apostolic foundation of the word of God. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And let me say something to all of you. Doctrine is not the foundation of the church. Truth, Truth. is. Doctrine is our definition of the truth. There's a difference between doctrine and dogma. Dogma is absolute. It's irrevocable. Doctrine is your definition of that dogma. So if I say I believe that the Lord is going to come back in glory and establish a glorious kingdom here on earth, that is dogma. But when I start telling you how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, what's going to precede, what's going to go after it, that becomes doctrine. And it's doctrine that divides. Instead of embracing the fact, okay, oh, this is the way you like to put the spices in your sauce. Pastor Marianne and I have competition all the time. She thinks it's competition. Everybody else knows it's not. And sometimes I, I was going to say Amy, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to offend her. But she fits into this category too. Sauce makers. It's sauce. But what makes it more palatable to... Bob, what makes it more palatable than Joe? What makes it more palatable to the world, as far as I'm concerned? You're with me. <laughs> it's not the love. Why? You don't taste love. It's the spices you put in it. It's the way you doctor it up. But it's still sauce. It's a gospel. And maybe we add a little spice here and a little spice there, but we maintain the integrity of the word of God. We defend the word, not the doctrines, not the definitions, not the opinions, not the preferences. 
You know, this is not a new issue. Paul contended with the same things that we're going through right now in a different culture, different manner. But he wrote to the church in Galatia. And he chastised them for their neglect of the things that were truly gospel. And he chastises them because they have gotten away from the foundation of truth. The apostolic revelation. You know, come on with me. Let's read it together. Galatians, we're in chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading, I think, in verse 6. That's all right, Joe. We don't need that. I am astonished how quickly you are deserting the one who called you by the grace, grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. There are people in Galatia who are turning Paul's church against him, against the message of his revelation. And I'm sure that the arguments on the streets were somewhat the same as the arguments that we hear today. Well, you know what? We've got to be more effective in dealing with these people in our society. They don't understand. They're Greeks. They're not Jews. We've got to be more empathetic, more sympathetic, more inclusive of, of all these different uh, diverse cultures. Which is not even, they're turning to a different gospel, which is not even a gospel. Evidently, some people are troubling you and trying to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be under a divine curse. As we have said before, so say I again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be under a curse. Am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still striving to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I certify to you, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not devised by man, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The first thing in the process of reformation for the church is to get back to the apostolic foundation of truth. Whose gospel are we listening to? The gospel of Christ or the gospel of religion? 
the gospel of religion. What is the gospel of religion? The gospel of religion is about pertinency to community. It's almost like establishing a business or club and appealing to the masses. But it contains within it some elements of religion that have been part of the structures of religion from the beginning of time. It places values on works, merit, self-emulation, performance, rituals, personality veneration, preachers who go to Oh, we go 10,000 people to hear this guy. Blind allegiances to denominations, to doctrines, to traditions, and the list goes on and on and on. That is the gospel of religion. A gospel of do's and don'ts. A gospel of personal piety that is brought about through your own effort. Do these things and people think that you're religious. Example, and I'm not saying this to criticize, but when you ask somebody to describe, to identify a great religious personage of our day, of our history, Who's the number one person? Mother Teresa. And wonderful woman. And I'm not invalidating her relationship with God or her service to the church. But that's what religion does to us. We think that unless you become a Mother Teresa, you're really not religious. You're really not a real good Christian. And you know what? While we may admire Mother Teresa... We don't want to be like her. We don't want to live a life of asceticism, a life of self-denial. Because, you know, the Bible says that we need to deny ourselves. We think that denying ourselves means that we get rid of all things that are pertinent to life. And to Yet Jesus came and he said, I have not, I have come. Not that you have to deny your life, but I have come that you might have life and have it worth more abundance. The real values, the real virtues, the real importance of life. Jesus said, I've come to bequeath to you. Yeah, there is self-sacrificing that is necessary in our Christian walk, but it's not to gain God's favor. The reason there is sacrifice on our part is because of our compassion and our love for our fellow brothers and sisters who might be offended by some of the things that we might do that they don't understand. And Paul tells us, look, you, you have a liberty, you have a freedom to do and act, and you can just go ahead. He said, however... If your freedom, if your liberty 
causes objection to a brother or sister, then because you are like Christ, modify your behavior. Restrict your freedom. Not to be more religious, but because you can be more loving and more gracious. Am I preaching to anybody here this morning? Gospel of religion. It incorporates a teaching of harsh and eternal judgments. I mean, if you don't do this, watch out. You're going to hell or secondary hell or the hell here on earth or boy. Sometimes I wonder if the doctrines of punishments are not those that men have expanded and amplified on just so that they can have more authority over your personal life. If you don't do what I say, I've got the power to send you to hell. Doctrine of religion. Unending penance, always being sorry, always seeing yourself as barely making it, always seeing yourself as weak, emaciated. Oh, hold on as much as you can, making it to heaven, even if it's by the skin of your teeth. I'm not looking to make it into heaven by the skin of my teeth. I'm looking to make it into heaven with a royal procession. Doctrine of religion, subjugation to ecclesiastical authorities. Your denomination, whoever, your bishop, your oversight, your pastor, you, just need, you need to do what he says. You need to follow his example as long as his example is an example of righteousness. Yes. But none of us have been established in the faith to follow someone whose practices are contrary to the word of God. But we need to be wise enough to make the discernment. But if we don't study to show ourselves approved, how in the world are we going to be able to discern what leader is a good leader, what leader is a bad leader? What leader is ordained in, it, in the administration of the church, established there as an ascension gift ministry? And what leader is just taking a pseudo power through his popularity, his charisma, Making people feel good because he knows how to manipulate situations. We allow this in the church. The gospel of religion preaches that you have to perpetually sacrifice. Everything in the, the more you give, the holier you are. While giving is a sign of your confidence in the provision of God. 
I don't care how much you give, it doesn't get God's attention. If you haven't got the right attitude. Jesus demonstrated that when he was in the temple. He always liked to stand by the offering receptacles. You look at that, and that's where he usually was, hanging out around the offering receptacles. But he wasn't necessarily looking at the amount you were putting in. He had this discernment about him that he could look directly into the heart of the giver. And that's how he evaluated the gift. Not by the amount, but by the devotion. (sighs) Two pennies. Not very much. In the natural sense. But a memorable offering in the heavenlies. Contrast that with the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Jesus is simply this. It's a message of salvation, justification, sanctification, and eternal life as an exclusive act of God's grace. I don't merit. I don't deserve. I don't buy. I don't earn any of these things from God. He gives them to me because of his grace. Everything I need for life and godliness he has already given to me. It's a gospel of fatherhood, of sonship, of a true father's love, a true son's devotion. And the father and the son have given us models and examples of how we're supposed to react and respond to our fatherhood love for others and our sonship response to those above us. The gospel of Christ is easy to see, easy to recognize. And then, uh, don't be listening for words. Men can use words and paint different pictures with these words. So the gospel of Christ is not about words. It's about love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look for these fruit, for they always are in abundance as a result of the ministration of the gospel of Christ. 
I don't have to talk about my love. I don't have to say, I love everybody. I'm good to them. It's about a demonstration of that attribute through the pores of your soul, through the breath of your spirit. So what gospel are we living by? What's the church doing? And let me just bring in one more thing. If we're going to understand the ministrations of the people of God and the kingdom of God, we must understand that there has been a transition in one of the most important things that we participate in. And yet most people are completely and absolutely unaware. And what is it? What is your priesthood? You know, we're so engrossed and enamored by the ironic priesthood. You know, we try to modify everything and identify everything and while the ironic priesthood of the Levitical order of priesthood, the, the Levitical participation, certainly was a shadow and a model and a type of the true participation of the believer in the kingdom of God, we no longer are part of the ironic priesthood. That ministry, that, that type of priesthood was abolished when Jesus Christ died on the cross. The temple veil was rent in twain from top to bottom. What does that mean? It means that everybody now has access into the throne of grace. There is not a distinction. There's not an inherent hierarchy that makes you a priest. You have to belong to a certain segment, a certain group. We are of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And what is that priesthood? The writer of the Hebrews identified it. As he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. We as believers, listen to me. Because this will transform your sense of your proprieties with the church. We are of the order of Melchizedekian priesthood. We are Melchizedekian priests. What does that mean? Aaron, Moses, all the patriarchs, all the leaders that flowed from Abraham's loins throughout the nation of Israel were there with him after Abraham had conquered the kings that had devastated and he met them, Melchizedek met them King of Salem, priest of the Most High God. And Abraham bowed down to him. And all that within, all that would be his progeny, all of his children, 
all of his inheritors bow down with him as well. Recognizing the ultimate priest on planet Earth, the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the Melchizedekian priesthood. What does that mean to us? Well, first of all, in contrast to Levitical priesthood, the Levites, they had to be born for a particular family. They had to go through certain selection processes. They were delegated to certain areas within the ministry. They couldn't go any other place except that which they were designated. And not only that, they had to go through special instructions, but they had to go through a physical inspection. And if there's anything wrong with you physically, you were disqualified from being a priest regardless of who your family was. So there were restrictions and boundaries and limitations. And so there was a limitation. Here, these are the priests. That is the Levitical priesthood. But in the Melchizedekian priesthood, there are no requirements. We have it by inheritance. Jesus Christ, the great high priest, our Father, bestows upon us this wonderful priesthood. And it doesn't take anything on our part to participate in it, to be endowed with its blessings. It's ours by virtue of our birthright. We're priests, we're prophets. We're kings. The church, listen to me this morning, every one of you, young, old, the church is our place of ministration. Not mine, not pastor, not the eldership. This is your church. And not just this house, but this is your church. You have been ordained by God to serve the community of God wherever that community comes together. To take responsibility to make sure that the word is being preached and that the love is being shown. We don't need someone to tell us what to do. We don't need someone to come and say, please come and pray or read the scripture with us Monday through Friday. This is our church. Yes. We should be saying, look, pastor, how many times can I come and read the Bible publicly? By what gospel do you live? Quite honestly, the gospel of religion, though it has more demands, is a lot easier to fulfill because there's a litany of do's and don'ts. 
And you can get your list out and you can check off those that you want to and those that you don't. Well, there's some kind of uh, negotiation I could have with Father for not being faithful in these areas. Maybe some penance, maybe some offerings. But at least I know what to do and what not to do. But you see, the gospel of Christ is not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about who you are. I don't have to give my wife a litany of things to do that she has to prove she loves me. Know what I mean? There's no requirement. There's no list. At least not for true love. That love is just manifested. Why? Because it's from the heart. Because it's from the inner being. And it's not something she's required to do. She does it out of choice. That's the church. The analogy of the church is not the temple. It's the marriage. It's the mystical union of oneness, of merging of souls and spirits and minds. Not taught by men, but just acted on in response to what we have received. That's who we need to be as Christians. Let them out there know that we're the church. Not just them our talkings, our witnessings and our preachings, but in our lives, in our compassion, in our tolerance and patience. in our ownership of the place that God has called us to be one family in one home. This is our house. This is our house. Do you see it as your house? you see it as a place where you go to hear preaching on Sunday morning and teaching maybe some nights of the week when you go to a restaurant you expect service you expect somebody to prepare your food serve your food clean up after you and all you got to do is give a little acknowledgement by paying the bill, maybe putting in a tip. You've eaten a good meal, but your responsibilities and obligations, that evening meal, it finishes. The minute you walk out the door, you've been to a restaurant.
But when you go home, there's food to defrost, pots to prepare, dishes to set up. And eating is just and then there's cleanup. Why? Because it's not a restaurant. It's a house. It's your home. If we're going to make an impact in our community, we've got to prove to these people by their observations that this is our home. All of us. We don't designate people to do certain things. And then if it isn't done, we see it and complain and say, well, this should be done. Well, I wonder if that carrot juice worked this morning. Maybe it was the apple or the cucumber. But at any rate, today I've delivered to you what I believe God has delivered to me. And I pray that you will find not just inspiration, renewal in your own affirmation of the gospel that we live by. I want to live by the gospel of Christ. I don't want to be a pretender and live the gospel of religion. How many of you will raise your hand and say, I agree with you?